Now you should listen to this because this concerns you. This is about an uh, evil genius in love. Evil genius mind. It woke me up from my sleep and I don't like it. No, you're an evil genius is what you are. If this works, you're, you're some kind of a, a evil genius. Honest to God. Hello and welcome to the Evil Genius Chronicles. I am your little podcast buddy, Dave Slusher. I am welcoming you to this show. That is what we are doing. That is an extremely uh, weird way uh, to say that. This show is for September 15th, 2022. Everything's fine. Don't worry about a thing. First, the business. The show is not kid safe, not work safe, not safe for anyone in any circumstance. You have been warned. <laughs> if you don't like any of that, then uh, it's time to go elsewhere. Creative Commons licensed non-commercial attribution 4.0 unported. The music is by the late great band, The Gentle Readers. They're at gentlereaders.com. Tech tip, if you uh, ever see or in Atlanta and can see the band Susie French Connection, there's a very large Venn diagram overlap between the general readers and the Susie French connection. Bandwidth is via Cashfly under the kind auspices of Backbeat Media. I do not speak for my company. I'm not even saying their name, although it's easy enough to find uh, because I am not on brand here. When I'm on their time and their nickel, I am on brand. And here I am on my time and my nickel. And I'm off, off, off brand. Let us begin with a song. I have often said that the um, the end state of punks is alt country. It seems like uh, you know when the uh, when they give off whatever radiation they do to punk, uh, you know, the same way uh, you know stars end up as iron, uh, old punks end up as alt country. And uh, John Doe, absolutely one of the uh, blazers of that trail, right? Uh, X. X was already halfway to alt country anyway, and then with the knitters and his solo stuff, it's very, very uh, alt country feeling. Here is uh, from the new John Doe album, Fables in a Foreign Land. Here's one. I actually picked some were pretty mellow. This one, actually, um, you can really hear uh, the foot in the young punk and the foot in the old uh, country gentleman that he has become. Here you go. This is Traveling So Hard from John Doe.
There you go, John Doe from his new album, Fables in a Foreign Land. And you can go get that up at Bandcamp. <laughs> John Doe and the Pixies and uh, uh, people I think of as ma- 80s mainstays, uh, they're up at Bandcamp. And uh, why, why not, my friends? Why not? And now, let us get to what uh, a number of people think is the best part of the show, and it is the reading of the patrons. Always, always a tightrope. <laughs> always a chance of uh, falling <laughs> to your <laughs> to your uh, maiming or death. All right. The following people went to bit.ly, bit.ly slash EGC Patreon and pledged to keep the shambling mess shambling. Thank you, Derek Coward, Adam Rittenauer, Ken Kennedy, Paul Fisher, R. Huili, Robert Harvey, Paul Smith, Andrew Heron, Grant Bachoco, Tony Ewing, Craig Stepp, Shannon Nelson, Charlotte Kennedy, Leah, the Enigmagic, Angela Lee, Chuck Tomasi, Stuart Maxwell, John Richardson, Michael Butler, Bruce Lerner, Skeeter Murphy, Chiaki Hinohara, Robert Gibson, Len Edgerly, Melissa A. Bartell, Andrew Howe, Michael Street, Neil Forker, Dyko, Kevin Freedy, Brian Springer, Tim Shaw, Rob Usden, Wayne Pittenger, Brian Jones, Joe Pollock, and Jeff Dangle. Thank you, one and all. You hear a new name there? Yeah, all righty. All right, thank you, one and all, for your support. Again, bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y slash E-G-C Patreon. And with that, we shall do a thing we call stalling. Yes, but killing the music. God, so many screens, so much tabbing, so much control tabbing and alt tabbing. It's just ridiculous. Speaking of just ridiculous, uh, something happened which has become a bit of, I guess we would call it a 
um, a tradition around this parts. It's uh, not trying to be a tradition, but it effectively comes out to be a tradition, which is we're going to belatedly celebrate the anniversary of the show. How belatedly? Um, like third week of August. <laughs> So go getting close, you know, three weeks ago by the time the show drops. So particularly when you record ahead um, and then you, you know, then you don't record for a little while. uh, I realized like on the day, today's the the day, Uh, but I already recorded the show and then I didn't record for a while. It's like, God damn it, dude, what is with you? Oh, all that. All of that, what I said is true. And then I recorded another show and forgot between remembering and recording. I also forgot again. So uh, 18 years. That does not mean it's gotten any easier or any better or high quality. It just means I've done it a long time. The um, webcomics weekly guys are fond of saying uh, you can't get worse at something you do every day. Which I guess is true. I don't do this every day, but I have been doing it somewhat uh, consistently for 18 years. Have I gotten worse? Let, let's let you decide that particular thing. Um, as I'm recording this, uh, we're a couple days after the death of Queen Elizabeth II. And good Lord, um, a bunch of Americans who worked very hard to get out from under this boy seemed to care. Boy, they really, really seem to care. Uh, you know, I'm taking no glory in the passing of uh, a person, but I, my, the effect on my life is so close to zero that it rounds to zero. Um, the, the, in fact, the way I found out about um, that this had happened is uh, in a Slack channel at work, somebody had posted a tweet from, I think it's something like annoying edge cases or something like that about some Canadians who were taking their citizenship test and it came to the point where they were supposed to pledge loyalty to the queen and nobody knew what to do. I'm like, Hmm, that makes it sound like maybe there's no longer a queen. (laughs) So I checked it. Yes. Okay. Um, It's one of these things where there's only like when a 96 year old person dies, uh, you can say, Oh, it's sad that they're dead. But also, yeah, (laughs) I mean, what? Uh, sad, not a shocker. Not a shocker at all. The longest reign of any mark monarch ever, I think, in recorded history. It's just hard to just hard to get um, too verklempt about that. You know, it's like okay, there you go. But at a larger point, I mean, I what I feel is basically what I feel. Anytime there is uh, Americans get British monarchy fever, and this happens around births of children this happens around royal weddings it's like guys i don't care about any of this i don't care i have to actually sit and think which is the prince that's uh defected and which is the prince that lives there off the top of my head i couldn't tell you i have to sit and think about it i was like which one's which i don't care (laughs) i don't care which one's which they don't affect me uh I, i and it just always befuddles me, bemuses me. Why do Americans care this much? Boy, we worked really hard to not have to care. (laughs) There was a lot of sacrifice made a couple hundred years ago for people to not, for it to have the luxury to not care. So why, what, what, what? So anyway, uh, I was actually, uh, kind of betting on the fact that, uh, 
Charles would die but without ever becoming king because it was certainly in play. Um, and one of the, the things is, you know, for a long time, the narrative was, uh, poor Charles, he doesn't get to be king. Now, I really think the narrative is, ah, poor Charles, he, he has to be king. <laughs> That's kind of the way I look at it. Um, this was actually not even on my list, but it's making me think about it. I am, uh, I have caught up on the HBO show House of the Dragon. I had a little exchange with uh, the Schuberts. I was really hoping that the Beyond the Wall podcast, um, the the one that uh, several of my friends, as well as the late PG Holyfield, started, uh, you know, went all the way through that. And I kind of was hoping that it would just magically re- reconstitute at the first episode of House of the Dragons. It didn't, although I think they're going to do uh, maybe do a couple specials, uh, you know, like wrapping up the season when it happens. I'm watching this thing. I'm three episodes in. There's eight or nine for the season. And I'm going to tell you, I was uh, prepared for lots of things for this. Here is what I wasn't prepared for. And through three episodes is what I'm getting. The show is boring. (laughs) It's really, really dull. And uh, there's some stuff. It's too spoilery to talk about this soon. But there's some stuff that makes so little sense to me. I absolutely it's like jaw droppingly. It's like, did no one like, did no one give the script, the plot of this show, a second look? Because this plot makes so little sense to me. It's like ridiculous. But mostly, the show is uh, uh, King Viserys Targaryen uh, being sad and unhappy. It's like, wow. Okay. All right. I'm waiting for, like, when the show happens and a dragon shoots fire, I'm like, thank fucking God. A <laughs> dragon shot fire. <sighs> Looks at watch. Okay, God. I hope somebody gets stabbed with a sword soon. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm about to take a nap. <laughs> All right. So then that's my capsule review of the first three episodes of House of the Dragon. <sighs> that's my review. I have um, gotten into in a half-assed, uh, I do not want to oversell this and make it sound like I'm doing more than I am. I've gotten barely a toenail into woodworking. And I it, it happened in a weird um, fashion. Um, and it's related to the household organization stuff that uh, I've talked about so much that I hate to talk about it. But what I want is a pegboard. It, like you walk these things backwards. Like what was the thing? I want a pegboard in my garage. I don't want to nail the pegboard to my wall in my garage. Uh, you know, like when you're building a garage, it's a great time to put up a pegboard, but when it's already like sighted and, you know, your house has been up for 20 years, like retrofitting the pegboard, kind of a drag, or at least it is for me. So I said, what I want to do is I want the pegboard. What if I just built effectively a wall with feet? (laughs) So it'd be like a freestanding, it's a little bit like an old school chalkboard, except instead of a chalkboard, it's a pegboard. Um, uh, would actually be cool if it rotated, but that would be absurd because everything would fall off. But I plan on, I was like, I could even just make this thing two-sided, set it out kind of in the center aisle of the garage. I could have four by eight. So I could have 64 square feet of pegboard, you know, because I would have it on both sides, uh, just standing out with a relatively small footprint standing in my garage. I'm like, I like this notion. So uh, uh, I ran the plans by a couple people. Um, I went to Lowe's, bought a bunch of stuff, realized my design was wrong. 
and just wouldn't work. Had to buy more different stuff. I, one of the people at work, there is also on the work Slack, there is uh, many um, non-worky like side topic channels. And there is a woodworking side channel. And uh, I was asking in there, and one of the people suggested just use a jigsaw. I was like, I have a jigsaw. My jigsaw is so old and so ratty that um, I thought I was going to cut my finger off with this thing because I pressed a button and it wouldn't unpress. I had to unplug the thing. (laughs) And uh, he was suggesting that the jigsaw, you know, would be a good alternative to using a circular saw. Jigsaw bucked and cut wonky and it was like it was like screw it. so i went to harbor freight my favorite place and bought myself like i i did not buy the cheapest saw they had and i spent 40 bucks <laughs> i went up from the bottom to one that had a little laser liner upper thing and uh you know bought myself one saw blade and uh, so this pegboard um project you know it's i mean it's pretty simple we're talking about um what are we talking about Six one by twos, um, effectively, you know, effectively making a big box, you know, a four foot by uh, a four foot by eight foot box with some uprights sticking out of it and some feet. So that is not the most challenging thing in the world. Do all that stuff and then screw some pegboard into it. Boom, you're done. Bob's your uncle. Even that is like that's too big a job for me to want to start on this. So I had this other thing I wanted to do. So when I was talking about the compost, I wanted to make some compost sifters. I found a design for them. And these things are even simpler than the pegboard thing. They are quite literally take some one couple one by sixes, cut them, make a wooden box, stick fence material on it. And you got a box that's a sifter. It's a giant sifter. Shovel some compost in it. Shake the shit out of that thing. What falls through is a good compost. (laughs) What's on top? Throw it back in the pile. Very simple. Well, that was what I used the jigsaw on. And the cuts were bad. And it was just a nightmare. So uh, I was going to make two of them. And the first one, I actually, between looking at the design and walking downstairs... I transposed some numbers and I made it too big. <laughs> supposed to, be. or actually, no, that's not when I went wrong. I went wrong at Lowe's where I thought I was looking for four foot wide um, fencing, and I had to settle for three. It turns out I was looking for two foot wide, and I got it too wide. So I'm gonna have to, I think, cut this thing down because what I made was a like five foot by three foot compost sifter that is too big and too heavy. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. <laughs> I think I'm gonna make it a three foot square one by cutting two feet off this. Unscrew the w- one end, cut two feet off, screw it back on, call it good. Um, and I had little bolt cuttery things. I think that I bought to use uh, with my to help make my DIY book scanner. But I have little butt, bolt cuttery, like very small bolt cutters that are perfect for cutting the fence. So uh, you just make a thousand little snips and boom, the, the fence cuts off. So this is not like I wouldn't woodworking is too like woodworking to me is like you have a router and you're making like bed posts and you're doing, you're doing all kinds of, uh, uh, elaborate things. I am barely, barely competent to make a straight cut on a board. (laughs) And I have made many not straight cuts in my very short, uh, like figuring out exactly where the circular saw is going to cut is way more of a challenge. Um, than I thought it was going to be, including the fact that I'm cut one of the things for the box and I was 
like four inches off. I'm like, where on here was I lined up to be four inches off? I don't even see the point I could have been lining up on to be this wrong. What did I do to put me so far off? Luckily, I was cutting them too long. So I could make it, if I cut it too short. I'd like, oh Christ, I have to go buy another board because I cut it too short. Luckily, I cut it too long and could fix that. But what is what is happening with me? That's this is why I didn't want to build the more elaborate project first because just even figuring out where to put the damn blade, figuring what am what am I doing here? So uh, you know I have it's all about flight time, right? And at this point, I have uh, you know when we fixed the deck at my mom's house before we sold it, we um, there were rotten places where quite literally. as we stood on it, we could feel cracking. And if we wanted to, we could have jumped a little bit and brought ourselves through that deck. You know, I don't know why you'd want to, but you could. So we replaced, you know, multiple stuff. And I was basically the, uh, I was basically the helper you pick up in the Home Depot parking lot. I didn't really under, my brother was doing all the measuring, all the thinking, all the cutting. And then I held heavy stuff while things got hammered. Or I think I was the guy under the deck and you, uh, you know, you put the one, uh, nail in to get the ha- hanger there, and then he dropped the post into it, like the, I don't even know what you call it, the decking. He dropped the decking into it, and he hammered against the thing, and he hammered against that thing. And uh, and um, we found out that when my dad had done some of this work 40 years ago, he had never actually put in the, um, he had never hammered in the load-bearing nails. He The whole deck was being held up by the guide nails. And so he had put in half the nails and not all the nails. So part of the reason why the deck was falling apart is because the the nails that hold the bracket were holding everything. It's like, dude, did you just not know what you're doing? And you just felt like, eh, I don't need those four more nails in this thing. It's like, good Lord. Good Lord. <laughs> this is where, <laughs> this is uh, like my brother, my my dad fancied himself, you know, kind of uh, good at this stuff. And he was terrible. My brother is way better at all of this stuff than my dad ever was, which is why uh, I was texting him uh, hand-scrawled drawings of designs. I'm like, will this work? What should I do with this? So anyway, um, I'm getting into that world. It's much like the pencil world, um, you know, like the the being into the pencil world. For somebody whose job is computery and digital and who's what I'm doing right here is computery and digital, and all day long I'm listening to computery digital stuff. Having a few somatic things that you do, writing with the pencils, making the zines, and stapling them and folding them, uh, you know, cutting boards and building actual things. Despite you also, you know, now that I'm a uh, aspiring country gentleman, it helps to be able to build a thing now and then. <laughs> the compost sifters, uh, you know, are just the least of it. It would be helpful to be minimally confident to build a thing uh, when you need a thing, as opposed to um, what has been my primary uh, method of dealing with this for most of my life, which is hire a guy to do the thing. Some of these things I should just be able to do without actually hiring, like hiring a guy to build a pegboard. That's uh, that's no good. And my brother was talking about visiting in like six weeks, and he said, we could, we could put that together when we get there. I was like, if I have this pile of lumber in my garage, still sitting unassembled in six weeks, I will lose my goddamn mind. I can't, just the thought of that is just so abhorrent to me. I was like, no, 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 it can't be. I have to have done this project before you get here or, uh, or it's, it's just all over. 
But the end goal of having the tools that are at this point mostly in moving boxes, in mostly random boxes, in mostly random spots in my garage, the idea of having the central repository of the pegboard. We had a pegboard, you know, when we moved into the previous house, it had a pegboard already there. It actually had a reasonably good uh, workbench kind of just built into the wall. You know, so those things were already there. I didn't, you know, make any of them happen. They they just arrived that way. So I've got a gazillion of the little pegs and, you know, the, the peg that's the jar and the pegs that, you know, makes the shelf. And, you know, I've got a lot of that stuff and I know where to put it. And it's like just the act of not having the pegboard clutters up the garage because all the stuff that was nicely organized up there ain't. And so I would have basically twice the pegboard when I'm done with this. If... I can pull it off and if it works and if I'm able to set it up and if I'm able to set it up in a place where I can access both sides, none of this is a given. But if I get to where I have two faces that uh, are functional on this pegboard thing, I'll actually be able to put more shit up there than I had before. So, oh, cross your fingers. Hope for me. Dream for me. Dream our little dream (laughs) of less crap underfoot. But again, the problem is always the act of making this thing requires getting to tools and requiring getting to tools requires the tools, you know, finding the right tool would be helpful if the tools were organized. But the thing I'm making is the thing to organize the tools. So they're not organized yet. So this is just the worst of the worst point. This is the dawn. This is the darkest point before the dawn. Uh, Let us, uh, let us see the sunrise in my uh, messy garage. And with that, I'm going to take a sip of this. Ooh, very recently brewed. Oh, that's pleasant. Usually I say it's like one degree above uh, lukewarm. This is maybe one degree below optimal. Mm. Oh, that's good. That's really good stuff. In my tentative um, fiddling around with the crypto world and my tentative fiddling around with the podcast world where... I'm willing to fiddle with some podcast stuff that I may not have a lot of intrinsic um, interest in solely so that I can know what we're talking about. This is kind of the life of the tinkerer, right? I'm not an early adopter, but I'm not the midpoint adopter either. I'm, you know, uh, the second, I'm the early part of the second quartile of adopters. You know, I'm about the 26th percentile of adopters. Um, so as I hear about this value for value podcasting stuff and the boostograms and all these things, I said, let me, I'd like to at least maybe even see one of these things. Now I will tell you that as a podcast addict user for, I don't know, seven years now, it's been some time. Um, and you know, when you have a tool like that for as long as I've had it, you know, I have my smart playlists, uh, extremely, um, extremely optimized for the way I think about it. And I think probably almost everybody is going to optimize it a different way, but I have it exactly the way I like it. If I were to like wipe everything out and start over, I mean, at this point, because it's, you know, seven years and you fiddle with it, you know, five minutes a week, that's in the long run. That's a lot of time, right? That's, you know, 20 hours of fiddling with the thing to get it the way I want it. So then I pull, uh, so, so then you go to value for value and this link will be in the show notes, evilgeniuschronicles.org. And of course, podcast addict is not one of the, um, 
podcast clients, podcatchers that will do this. You know, so there's Android ones that will automatically that will send the boostergrams. And I go and I look for value for value enabled things. And there's one called Podverse. And I look around at some of them. And this looks to me like the only acceptable one. And I download the thing. And you know, I'm not importing my OPML. I'm just subscribing to like a show or three that uh, I know accepts uh, boostergrams. So I subscribe to the Everything Everywhere daily podcast. And I fiddle with the thing. And so then you need this crypto wallet called Albi. I was like, okay. So then I install the crypto wallet and you do this stuff to connect it and you do all these other things. I'm like, then I pull down, you know, I I download like the most recent show in Gary's feed. And I look to see how do you send the booster? Like, how do I do this? And I'm looking around and, you know, used to be, and you still, there was a point in time where you could auto flatter with some of the, you know, you could send a flatter, um, a not technically dead, but might as well be dead, uh, micropayment, uh, project. And you would say, okay, when I, um, finish the podcast, just flatter it. And it's like, I'm looking for a similar thing for a boostergram. It's like, how do you, like, let's say you define this thing as uh, I want to send a boostergram when I finish it automatically a boostergram of this size. I'm like, how do I, I don't see anything like that, which I totally, um, if there's one software thing I want named after me, it is the principle of least surprise. <laughs> and what's the least surprising thing that I would expect to see? And the least surprising thing would accept some sort of setting that would say like a per feed setting that says, hey, here's how you boostergram this thing. Doesn't, I don't see it. And then I read more in this podverse. And I'm not saying in any way that I am completely knowledgeable. What I'm saying is, it's hard to be completely knowledgeable because <laughs> I, I I could be I could be technically wrong on what I'm saying about you, but the fact that I am, when I was trying to find information about it, uh, suggests a problem in both the product and the information. And it turns out it looks to me like I saw a, a, an asterisk about these boostergrams. It says only in the Albi Crypto Wallet or somewhere somewhere in somebody's documentation there was a thing about. You can send boostergrams, but only on the website. Like, what the fuck? What are we? What? <laughs> so I have to do whatever, put on this janky um, podcatcher, which is rudimentary compared to the finely tuned one that I'm used to and that I like. Uh, so I would take a hit in podcatcher to use this ugly, barely featured one. And then I still doesn't automatically boostergram. I still have to go to a website. It's like, why don't I just go to the fucking website in the first place and not do any of this stuff. If I have to go to a website to send a boostergram, what do I want this client at all, ever? What do I want this weird crypto wallet that I don't understand? Like, what do I want any of? Why do then then you back up a little bit. And then the question I'm asking right now becomes the question is like, why do any of this? <laughs> and I'll be honest, the uh, the funniest statement I've ever heard about micropayments was on Web Comics Weekly when Scott Kurtz, the guy who does PvP and a number of things, Table Titans, um, he w- they were talking about Scott McCloud and his boosting of uh, micropayments. And he's been an advocate for basically the entire internet age. At this time, this would have been probably like, like early 2010s. And, uh, you know, at that point, he would have been, you know, 15 or 20 years into his boosting of micropayments. And Scott Kurtz said, Scott McCloud has been talking about, if I had a nickel for every time Scott McCloud said micropayments would work, micropayments would work. <laughs> and 
flat, you know, I was high on the flatter, and this booster gram thing seems to make sense. And conceptually, um, it always seems like um, it seems like a micropayments thing should work. It seems like it makes so much sense, but really and truly, it fails at the human level, which is that all these things come down to a decision. And honestly, like, given that Patreon exists. Like the difference between having somebody sign up as a patron and then do all this other horseshit to make it so they can send a tiny amount of Bitcoin uh, per listen, like ridiculous. <laughs> I'm not saying that it's the optimal thing. There's so many imperfections and so many things that could be better about it. Conceptually, with Patreon, somebody makes a decision, comes to your page and signs up, and then is with you for you know some amount of time up to forever. <laughs> And there are people who have been patrons of my uh, show for six or seven years. That was one decision, right? As opposed to ongoing decisions. And if you can't make a single decision and then have that carry forward, like if you have to decide to boostergram every so often, you're going to fail because you need somebody to make a decision. And Corey Doctor said this a long time ago, which is it costs the same mental energy to make a 10 cent decision as a $20 decision. So why not have them give you the $20 instead of the 10 cents? So that's where I stand on that. And also, you know, it's got the, it's got the crypto fairy dust sprinkled on it because crypto, because crypto. (laughs) And there are so many people um, that, um, that consider like, because crypto is enough, you don't need anything beyond that. And oh, I'm so very much not a crypto maximalist. If anything, now I have crypto. Like I still have my crypto trading bot is going in and uh, like trading cryptocurrencies against each other. Uh, you know, at m- minute by minute is checking on that. Um, it ain't doing that good because the entire market is sucking back into itself. But. Um, you know, theoretically, I'm still making little bits of it. Um, like if the market goes back to where it was, I should actually be ahead of where it was sitting. Because when two, like when one crypto gets cheap relative to another, I trade it and then back the other way. So theoretically, it should be creating stuff. Although it's extremely hard to tell when you have 60 currencies all sliding against each other and sliding against the dollar. And uh, did I do better than just doing nothing? I don't have any way of, I don't have any way of calculating that. Is doing nothing the better play? Would, like, at this point, I absolutely would have done better to take the same amount of money and put it in a, a, a shoebox under my mattress. But <laughs> that's uh, that's the times. But uh, the, like, as I listen to Unchained, you know, like, the NFT things, it's like, oh, this NFT will revolutionize I've never heard one NFT thing that made the slightest bit of sense to me or that motivated me in the slightest. Now, what I, here's the, and and so, and most of these crypto things, you know, the, the crypto nerd um, approach is always, uh, you know, this is so much better. This thing, which sounds exactly like the other thing is so much better than this third thing. It's like, okay, dude. (laughs) It's like, well, if you read the white paper, it's like, okay, if knowing why your crypto is better than the other crypto requires reading each of the white papers. Fuck all (laughs) y'all. I don't give a, all right. If I have to read and there are at this point, like listed on uh, Kraken, which is where my, my bot works listed. There's something like a hundred currencies. Like, so I'm going to sit down and read a hundred 
30 page white papers to figure out everything about all of them. Like none of dude, guys, come on now. And the, you know, the notion that, uh, you know, I was, you know, I was in the around for the commercialization, uh, you know, the dot com era when people, everyone thought putting a website on it will revolutionize this thing. I was around for the podcasting when I thought putting a podcast on this will revolutionize everything. And I've kind of seen that. I've seen that raw energy that says, I love this thing and anything would benefit from having more of this. And in some cases, it's true. And even with the stuff that I love and that I uh, became a part of, a lot of times it's not. <laughs> and and so one of the things I've been trying to sort out in, in my approach to this is I was a podcast maximalist in 2004. I thought, boy, I remember thinking, boy, I wish this had come up earlier so that we could this could have some uh, impact in the 2004 election cycle because I thought it would really make everything different if you could just have candidates out there, you know, speaking their truth and, uh, you know, I don't know what I thought. Um, and that was a, a utopic vision that I think that probably was not borne out by reality. And when I hear, when I hear the very similar, like similar intentioned even similar wording about how NFTs will do a similar, uh, bring about a similar cryptopia. I don't buy any of it. It sounds like bullshit to me. Why? That's the thing I have not been able to, um, I'm trying to introspect myself enough to understand why did this thing ring so true to me? And I just bought into it immediately. I'm talking about podcasting and new media. Why did that some of it may have to do that, you know, I was in my uh, early 30s when podcasting or mid 30s when podcasting happened. And now I am not in my mid 30s. And uh, maybe I'm more jaded. And maybe uh, if I had a few more miles under my belt in 2004, I might have been less utopic about the possibilities. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. But um. I have a lot to talk about crypto because crypto, MMT, the money stuff, it's too big a topic to uh, jam in at uh, minute 38. But um, it, it's absolutely on the list. It's about four, four bullet points under where I am right now. So uh, we shall get to it. Let me close out this because it's uh, – or uh, if not close out, let me morph into this. Is it that I talked about everything everywhere daily. That to me is a, a very good vanguard of kind of the a 2022-ish show. And he, when did he start it? He started during the pandemic, maybe 2020. Um, it feels like maybe he just had his second anniversary somewhere around there. Um, and I jumped on the train, um, not at the beginning, maybe a couple months in. I want to say maybe there was a backlog of 100 or 200 when I started. Um, it was long enough that I was that there were repeats. Maybe it had to have been more, more than that. Cause it was long enough that there were repeats. Like he would do an encore show and then I would go into my backlog and delete that. Cause I had already heard the show, you know? So something like that. And Gary is extremely, um, earnest. And, uh, I, I he's active on, um, Evo Terra's advancing podcasting discord server. So that's kind of where I see him. And he's very much in the, he does most of the stuff that I don't care about. Like he's examining the traffic. He's examining his subscriber uh, numbers and his download numbers. And he's trying to figure out how to optimize them. 
Uh, this is all stuff I don't even know. I haven't known the numbers for 15 or 16 years. <laughs> and I don't care because I don't want, I don't particularly want to know. I don't care about optimizing it. Um, as I often say, uh, the number that I care about like today is 36. That's the number I care about. And all the rest of it can go to hell. But he, you know, he's um, looking at, you know, the, like, does advertising do work? And he's doing all the stuff, all what I call, what we call the, the Mad at Dad era, and I still call, we call it the podcasting douchebaggery. You do this douchebag stuff to try to make uh, your show get downloaded more, which ultimately, uh, if you care about that stuff, ultimately it's probably because it makes you more money, right? Your sponsorships are for higher value, and he absolutely has sponsorships. I don't know anything about Gary's economics. I do know, I think he sold a business, and that something like from 2007 2020, he had no fixed address. He's traveling the world. As I have mentioned, he seems to be way into UNESCO World Heritage Sites, which I don't even know what they are, and I absolutely would not reroute more than one mile (laughs) to go see a UNESCO World Heritage Site, because it's not something that really moves my soul. Um, But So he talks about all these places he's been, which makes me think that he has, um, shall we say, uh, he's not punching a clock. He he, he does not have a lunch pail uh, between him and uh, uh, homelessness. So I don't know like how much of this stuff he needs. Possibly he might be in the thing where he has enough money. He doesn't have to have a day job, but not necessarily forever. So he may be needing to refill some uh, refill some buckets in there. So you know the subscriber numbers and the advertisement numbers and all these things matter to him (sighs) boy and when i see like just like reading his posts on evo's discord it's kind of exhausting me i i consider myself extremely fortunate that i don't have to uh spend so much time thinking about all that stuff because uh i don't i don't want to I don't want to do it. But let me tell you something about like the structure of Gary's shows, right? If you're not familiar with it, and it is, I'm, I've been listening to it for years, and I listen to it practically every day. And it's, he picks a topic, and he has a, you know, somewhere between like a seven and 11 minute show on that topic. Um, you know, the year with five emperors, or this place, or, um, you know, something. Uh the Wilhelm scream. Has he done that one? The history of the Wilhelm scream. I don't think he ha- has, but that would be a completely appropriate one. The making of the Godfather. You know, these are some of these are real and some of these are fictitious, but they all like there's not, uh, you know, it's not all science topics or all history topics or all geographic topics. It's kind of all these things. And Gary's delivery. You know, he researches. He he does the delivery, and I will tell you. It's kind of like one of these uh, situations sometimes you get with reporters or writers or, or big thinkers. And you look at them and you say, these people are so knowledgeable. And then and you listen to him and he's talking about the history of you know these Roman emperors. And it's like, this guy really knows what he's talking about. And then they will do a topic that you are intimately acquainted with. Like you are perhaps maybe an expert in it. Perhaps you've done graduate work in this topic, you know, so you, and it will differ from person to person, obviously, but you, it says topic that you know extremely well. And they're, you know, 80% right, 90% right, 85% right, but they're not completely accurate. Like there's some flaws. There's some things that they're not understanding correctly or they're, they're just flat out factually incorrect on. But you think, 
And I always fall into this trap. It's like, well, this one, he, yeah, he's a little shaky on this, but I'm sure he's 100% on everything else. And you get this with like writers, you know, in the, in the early podcast era, when, uh, you know, when it was new enough that it was a news story that people were podcasting and some were local and national and wired. And so a lot of us early podcasters talked to reporters and then you see the uh, story in print. I can tell you that uh, in that first year of podcasting, I did not see a single story, not one story that was, that did not have a, a factual error in it. Uh, like, was it the New York times that said that it was somewhere that you thought should have had a fact checker, check the fact where they said Dan class and his bitterest pill was a recovering addict. It's like, he's not the bitterest pill was just a joke. <laughs> it's not literal. They're not literal pills involved in this, you know, stuff like that. And having dates wrong and people wrong and roles wrong. And, and uh, at some point you think until you get to the subject that you really know, well, you think one well, of these people really, they're doing a great job and they know what they're talking about. And then you think, oh, yeah, um, whatever, Let's uh, like Mary Roach, let's say, or James Glick or somebody like that. And you look at them and you think, wow, they really, they're, they're so well-researched and they really know the topics they're talking about. And then they get into your area of expertise and it's, you know, let's be general. Let's say it's like 95% correct, but it's not 100, it's never 100%. <laughs> and you, at some, but then you think, what I, it, it's hard for me to back up and say, if they're 80 percent right on everything because <laughs> certainly they're 80 percent right on this i was like hmm hmm and once more i say to you hmm uh super uh probably i'm at a show but i'm gonna add one more thing i just happened across um i think when i was fiddling with podverse i happened across the linux link tech show um, these people uh, are probably a little bit lost to history. They were way early podcasters because I believe they had a streaming show on, I don't know, real audio or something. They they were in that era of people who had a streaming show before there was podcasting. And so all they had to do was record the damn thing and put it in an RSS feed and they have a podcast. And uh, these guys, I was amazed that they're still at it because they were at it in 2004 and they are still at it in 2022. These guys are up somewhere in Pennsylvania, like in the Lehigh Valley. Link Fessenden and Dan and the cast of Knuckleheads. And I had some little uh, interaction with them over the years. Uh, nice enough guys. And I have, uh, you know, interacted with them. And they were always pleasant. Um, for years, Link uh, Fessenden at one point wrote Bash Potter, which is like a bash script that would pull down RSS feeds. There were a couple of years where that was my main thing. It would run on a cron job on my Mac and sucked in on my podcast. And then I would sync it to a Sansa clip using Rockbox. <laughs> this was pre-smartphone era, but I did that for a couple of years and it was very nice. So I was amazed that the, the guys still do the show. And remember at the very beginning when I was talking about the 18th anniversary uh, here. So these guys are around the same point, right? I don't remember when they first stuck an RSS feed on it, but it was probably within the first month or two of podcasting. Because like I say, the the delta between what they were already doing with their live streaming show and that was practically nothing. And I, I downloaded the most recent show, like a couple days ago. And the first five minutes, technical issues and sound not right. I was like, holy shit, that is the same shit I was hearing in 2004. The exact same stuff, Try, just trying to get it right. I'm like, in its own way. Now, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to lie. I did not, <laughs> not listen to the episode. After a couple of minutes of that, I thought, I just, guys, I just love you, but I can't. 
And uh, just, I did not, um, uh, this was like from the Podverse experiments. So this did not carry back into uh, Podcast Addict. I'm glad they're still at it. I'm glad they're still uh, keeping the faith. Uh, uh, but <laughs> I may try another one. But, oh boy, who dug is. <laughs> but it just did my heart uh, uh, warm, made my heart warm that they're still at it. So, uh, keep the faith, guys. Uh, <laughs> glad you are still uh, still around and still doing it. With that, let me see how I can make you bounce off this show. <laughs> uh, it happens. I know for a fact that it happens. Show notes will be up at evilgeniuschronicles.org. If you'd like to go listen to the Linux Link Tech Show for yourself and see what I'm talking about, do it. The link will be there. Or download Bash Potter. I looked at every... Um, every fork of bash potter to see like which one had the most recent activity and one of the forks had some commits like within i think the last year almost all of them are like eight years old so uh there was some activity uh i believe i had a modification i think to make to improve the caching i did never did a pill request back to the main uh branch but uh i'm not going back to bash potter because i like what i'm doing now too much but it like for a command line Linuxy dude, uh, it's perfect. It was it was really solid. But anyway, if you want to link to that, I forgot that I was doing the dismount. <laughs> if you want to link to that, that'll be in the show notes. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> it's this is like when the plane starts to land, there's a technical problem, and they take back off again. That's exactly what I just did. So anyway, I'm trying to leave the show. I forgot I was trying to leave the show. Email me, Dave at evilgeniuschronicles.org. You want to say, hey, I can't believe you've been doing this 18 years. That's actually a, the perfect statement. It's neither positive nor negative. It's just a fact. I can't believe you've been doing this 18 years. Does that mean I can't believe you've been doing this great show? Or I can't believe that this is still happening? <laughs> Either way, I don't care. Dave at EvilGeniusChronicles.org. I thank you for listening. I will catch you next time right here. And do not forget that I love you. Goodbye. And then they'll uh, come. A comp- I am not speaking for my employer right now. I'm not even saying the name of the company, although it's very easy to find because I am not on brand. <laughs> and whatever I'm saying now does not reflect the fine standards of the company that uh, employs me. They are doing their own thing. Uh, and when I'm doing their thing, I'm uh, when I'm. Huh? Ridiculous. <laughs> Just like uh, for all the, the I, I, I huh? every step of fucking adventure. adventure.